0: welcome to the lone star collective podcast i'm your host jesse williams this week is episode 46 we're going to be talking about the smokable hemp ban here in texas with cannabis attorney, Susan Hayes, and I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined by co-host Lauren Simpson this week. How is everybody doing?
1: Doing great. Doing awesome.
0: It has been hot, too hot. <laughs> Over it. What's it like out in Alpine right now, Susan?
1: Highs in the high 80s, lows in the 60s. So it does not suck.
0: Oh, that it sounds does not And suck. it's yeah. out
1: rain outside right now. We have we have monsoon season in the late summer, so monsoon every afternoon storm. these thunderstorms pop up around the mountains and drop rain on you if you're lucky.
0: Oh, that sounds beautiful compared to here, where the grass is about to die and look about like alpine.
1: Yep, about to oh. die. My grass is
2: gone. My, I mean, gone. It's just, it's sad. It, we'll
0: hope hopefully we'll get through this episode like we had. We talked about before uh, issues trying to record this before, but we're in a more stable location. Let's talk about this smokable hemp ban. How did this, how did this, let's start at the beginning, how this came about.
1: Yeah. I'll I'll go back to the legislative session of where it got pushed into the bill. Uh, You know, as y'all, many of y'all probably know Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is just a complete tyrant. He reviews every bill and will hold things hostage to get the hemp bill through the Senate the senate sponsor senator charles perry of lubbock had to get dan patrick's buy-in and approval and his office required them to put in that language and it's really weirdly worded language the language in the law doesn't say thou shalt not smoke hemp or thou shalt not sell hemp that could be smoked it just says state agencies tda and department of state health services or dishes you may not license someone for the production of smokable hemp, or of smokable hemp products, which is defined as both hemp that is burned, products that are burned, and products that are heated, i.e. vape. So it covers both smoking and vaping. Unlike the teacup program, which its smokable ban is just about smoking, not vaping. Um, And we knew the bill couldn't pass without that language, but we also knew the language was, and I'll use a very technical term here, goofy as shit. And that makes it a little easier to challenge in court. So the bill passed with that. Dishes had to make rules about the law. And when they released the first informal draft of the rules in the fall of 2019, it included this expansion of that to include both transportation or distribution of smokable hemp products and the retail sale of smokable hemp products, which were not in the law. And state agencies can't add some some substantive law like that. Um, there are limits to how much rulemaking can change what the statute put in place. So the Smokable hemp lawsuit was filed within a few weeks of DISHES officially releasing its rules going into effect in the summer of 2020. And the legal team was led by Matt Zorn uh, and Shane Pennington with Yetter Coleman, although Shane's now left and gone to another law firm. Uh, with Chelsea in Dallas, her client was the main client in the case and who footed ninety nine percent, ninety nine point nine percent of the bill of that very costly litigation. Uh, and then I was on the legal team. One of my clients, Sarah Carver, was part of the plaintiff group. We successfully got a temporary restraining order and then a temporary injunction, and those stayed in place up until twenty twenty two. And the Texas Supreme Court ruled against us. Um, The legal theory we were using is something called the Patel case or the Patel theory, and that was a case about due process for your right to sort of economic freedom, your right to make a living. There are other legal theories that could be brought against the smokable hemp case. Um, So where we stand now is kind of a half win. The state of Texas backed off on the distribution and retail sale piece. So smokable hemp products can be sold or distributed, but they cannot be manufactured in Texas. So all that means is retail shops can just buy stuff from out of state. So the whole thing's kind of dumb and has no real effect on what people can get on the shelves in Texas.
0: And from my understanding... The way I try to explain people, the Patel case, because I remember when that happened, that was about 2013, 2014, Mm -hmm. was that it was eyebrow threading. Yeah,
1: it's great uh, fact. The
0: the, the state pretty much added in this regulation saying eyebrow threading uh, companies, people who perform this, must go through the same exact licensing you do to go through, like to become a barber or a stylist Mm -hmm. in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. But none of the stuff in any of these schools addresses eyebrow threading or any of the sanitation for it. They made comparisons to the san- type of sanitation training that was needed by, like, ambulance crews. And yeah. they said, this, is, this isn't this is reasonable regulation you've put in place in our state because you're asking us to go get training for something that does not pertain to our business.
1: Right, and the, exactly. And the, state, and
0: the state agreed. They're like, fine, if you want to come up with a regulation over this, and the eyebrow-threading companies agreed, if you want to have safety regulations that pertain to us and how we do our business, go for it let's regulate ourselves to be proper, but this wasn't
1: proper. Well, and it's also the cost and expense of getting a cosmetology license when most almost everything you learn to get that license has nothing to do with eyebrow threading. There's a federal case with equally awesome facts called St. Joseph's Abbey. That's a similar legal theory as the Patel case, um, but not entirely the same. That case was about a bunch of monks in Louisiana who were in the timber business to support their monastery. and when Katrina knocked down a bunch of their trees, they started making simple wooden caskets and selling them. And if anybody's ever had to go through playing a funeral, you know what a expensive scam the funeral industry can be with how much those caskets cost. Yes. So the wooden caskets were very popular and the funeral home lobby in Louisiana got a law change that required casket makers to be licensed funeral directors. And much like cosmetology training, that training is expensive, time you know time consuming, and it's about using chemicals and these things you don't do with making a simple wooden casket. And the Fifth Circuit struck that down as an unconstitutional infringement. Um, that you know the government can't. I read that case is the with the idea that the government can't make up its reasons for regulating you or forcing you to do something. There has to be some validity scientifically to what they're doing, as, which as is a like great to, principle for governing.
0: As we like to say in a in, uh, cannabis space, uh, Austin and I definitely say this,
1: um, make it make sense. Yes, it's got to have some logic or reason to it. So, well, so just,
2: a, little, yeah. a little bit in that is um, the tattoo industry, not licensed at all, not licensed is, at all. Which is kind of crazy. No. Kind of crazy. I cause I went to hair school. I went to the Veda Institute in Dallas mm-hmm. and it is pretty intense with all the bloodborne pathogens and everything you have to learn. You would think, <laughs> as medical as tattoo and piercing studios get, that there would be some licensing that goes on there. Now there are the, score tests and that kind of stuff that you have to do, but there is no mm-hmm. licensing for any the, of the audience.
0: There is. It's difficult to find. I've got a relative who just moved to Texas who's wanting to get into this. And they're trying to find it out, and usually I'm pretty resourceful. Susan can even tell you, I'm pretty resourceful with finding information if I want to find yeah, it. Yeah. And I had trouble finding how licensing works in Texas for parlors. It's not like individual licenses. It's more like the establishment itself has to get a license, and that's basically it. It's And it's mm-hmm. it's not even really outlined how it's done. It's yeah. – it's kind of all those trade secret industry, trade industry secret things. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so where do, where do we see this going next, Susan, with the, the smokable hemp ban? Is there, any, is there any push to take this? Like you mentioned federal-level items. Do you know of any push yourself?
1: I'm not involved in any pushes, but to the extent anybody in the industry sees it as costing them money, we may see other lawsuits. Um, And and real money. I mean, lawsuits are super expensive. They're hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time you work your way through the intermediate appellate courts and the Supreme Court, particularly if you're going on a theory where you've got to put proof facts because that means expert witnesses and can get quite expensive. Um, And then also the legislation may catch up with it. If Dan Patrick loses, that can be fixed pretty easily in the legislative session.
0: Something I would say that's kind of I wonder what your take on this is, and i I've been, we saw this in a different in a scotus case. This type of language used, and the Supreme Court of Texas used this language that it's not rooted in tradition. That we couldn't yes. do something because it's not rooted in tradition, and that's unsettling for me because tradition can be horribly wrong.
1: Well, it is only totally that they pick and choose what tradition. If you want to talk about what's rooted in condition with cannabis, let's talk about what George Washington grew. Um, but they you know the Texas Supreme Court didn't want to do that. They wanted to look at the period between like the 30s and the 50s, Kennedy. which still includes him for victory, but turned a blind eye to that piece. Um, anytime I see judges use that phrase, "I know troubles ahead," because it's selective review a selective view of history most of the time.
0: It sounds like a lot like, well, it wasn't in my family's tradition. It wasn't yeah. in this other judge's tradition. It mm-hmm. wasn't in your family's tradition. It may be the Kennedy family tradition, but not ours, so no.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, and there's a huge analogy to what just happened with Roe v. Wade being struck down. That was part of the analysis in, that, in the Dobbs decision. And when you really know the history of women's health care in this country, it's total bullshit <laughs> to say that at the time of the founders, abortion wasn't very common um, and wasn't regulated and was Something, not prohibited.
0: It, there's there's this major conundrum that happens with I think when they came out with the, um, the original language that that leak was that they were pretty much saying bodily autonomy is not an American tradition. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, the fact that we went it's almost 70, 80 years with slavery, you, you got a point. <laughs> One yeah. horrible tradition.
1: Yeah, it's uh, the, I'm, where the courts are really disturbs me right now. Our better hope for any kind of liberty at all is at the ballot box.
2: That's what bores me here in Texas is, you know, how, how free we are in Texas. We just claim how free we are. But then like you're saying that, um, the trigger law with the Roe versus Wade and, and then not legalizing cannabis. I mean, being so prude about it. I don't understand why th- that freedom is locked up because really anybody I talk to wants it available. Yeah. I mean, there are
1: very few people that I run across that don't want it legal. Well, and also just the interest in it is so intense. And it's kind of amazed me, even as much as I'm into cannabis policy reform, how much when I'm campaigning for agriculture commissioner, that that's what people, editorial boards want to talk about. You know, I can walk in talking about rural health care, corruption, and sustainable ag, and oh, yes, I'm a cannabis policy wonk. And for the next hour, all we want to talk about is cannabis, <laughs> which which I always roll with and take the opportunity to educate folks.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people don't understand the ballot initiative. I think that's what really messes mm-hmm. a lot of the cannabis yeah. people up is they don't understand that we cannot petition because, believe me, I think Bill Norton would have done that back in the 70s if he had the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm, is- I'm grateful for everybody at Ground Game Texas that are going city by city where they can do a ballot initiative and get it on the ballot. Let the people speak
1: about it. Yeah. And, and to be clear about that, those city ballots are about non-enforcement. Right. And it's not legalization. And it can it'd be a little confusing for people, but it's great that it's happening because it's engaging people in the issue and also, you know, creating little safe zones where people are going to be thrown in jail for a couple of joints.
0: I, the way I've told people is that, it's um, like, oh, you can't just, just not do this. And um, Julie Oliver kind of spoke to it in a different way. What I've been saying is that it's what we're prioritizing as far as what we want police to arrest people for. The yeah. were able to do this. And in Travis County, it very much was when um, Jose Garza was, being, mm-hmm. was running for office, people were like, oh, you can't just pick and choose. Which laws, I'm like, he can pick and choose which laws he wants to prioritize are are important. He's not saying that he's legalizing anything. He's saying, I'm not prioritizing that. I want to prioritize robberies. I want to prioritize rape cases, murder cases, violent assault cases. I don't want to spend time on petty, small, personal Mm -hmm. use, possession cases.
1: Yeah, it's called prosecutorial discretion. And that is a time-honored tradition. When we elect our district attorneys, that's what the voters are telling them. We want you to focus on these things and not others. And uh, and I'm already hearing a lot from the right wing about, you know, we need to get after these urban DAs because they won't enforce the law. They absolutely get to pick what cases to prioritize. So we've now had, you know, Dallas County, John Curzio, Jose Garza, who you mentioned in Travis County, Fort Bend County, Brian Middleton, uh, Nueces County, Bear County, all of those DAs are not going to prioritize marijuana possession cases, period. Better things yeah. to do. Yeah. And I had I had a conversation with Cruzot in Dallas, it's probably been three or four months ago, and kind of asked him, what's your world like now that you quit busting people for a little weed? And his response was, it's great. He said, I've got all this resources now freed up to really focus on violent crimes um, and serious issues.
0: And saying that, um, something I want to call out, and I'm hoping people will get behind us on this, I want to get Chief of Police out in San Marcos, Stan Stanridge, to come forward, hopefully, this next legislative session, and talk about the success he has seen in San Marcos when they put a site release program in. Mm -hmm. Because there's been a lot of attack on that, especially out there. I know at one point a city council meeting was called. Um, they wanted to uh, pretty much say that the site and rele- one of them wanted to say the site and release program was pretty much a bust, and he came forward and was like, "No, this is working excellently. My officers aren't spending hours upon hours dealing with personal use issues." Um, and then apparently this last week there was a there was a protest about one of the police officers that was recently dismissed. Uh, I believe his name, Officer Hartman. Um, this was an officer. I don't know if you heard about this. He hit somebody, had an open container in the car, he, he ran a stop sign, he admitted he ran the stop sign, and it killed a person in the car, and nothing pretty much happened for lack of better lack of better words. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he when they had the meeting about that, he brought up, he's like, here's the numbers for site and release, it's working excellently. Us not going after this isn't detrimental to our community. We're being able to focus our police efforts elsewhere where the community does need to see them focused, such as robberies, converter theft, things of that nature. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's getting bad even in Austin.
0: Is there anything with, I, I guess, i trying to think how to state it, with DSHS as to a possible reason why they backed off on the retail? Uh, I, I don't know why,
1: aside from legally, they had bad arguments. And you know, like I said, when a state agency makes rules, they can't make law out of whole cloth. And if the, it was very easy for us to argue if the legislature had intended for retail sales to be banned, they should have written it into the statute where they were already writing there shall be no manufacturing of of hemp for smoking. Um, So, and they may also have been they didn't want a decision which would have applied in other contexts, pushing back on the rulemaking power. Uh, bad facts make bad law for them. And this was particularly some bad facts.
0: I could I kind of see that. So it is time for us to go into our first sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. Man, quite the conversation we've had about this smokable hemp ban. It is episode 46. We've been discussing the smokable hemp ban with cannabis attorney Susan Hayes. We will be right back after these sponsor messages.
3: apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in texas a full service cannabis solution that is doctor owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in texas from traditional CBD products to emerging hemp derived thc edibles smokables and now medical cannabis as a licensed medical cannabis provider prospective patients from anywhere in texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit ThriveTX.com for more information.
0: Oak Cliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flower, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta eight, and merch. For more information on their products quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com.
2: Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Sam Hariri.
3: Clock, yeah, it's thick, dirty. I've been through a lot, but I'm still flirty. Is everybody back up in the building? It's been a minute, tell me how you feeling? Cuz I'm about to get into my feelings. How you feeling? How you feel right now? Oh, I've been so down and under pressure.
0: I'm way too fun. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined by co-host Lauren Simpson this week. This week is episode 46, The Smokable Hemp Ban. We're speaking with attorney Susan Hayes, who's a cannabis attorney. I believe the title is super, cannabis super attorney. You've been rated as a super attorney by your peers in the state of Texas.
1: Yep, the first one to get that under cannabis law in Texas, which was a lot of fun.
0: So I, I want to have you, somebody to make you like one of those big... WWF belts and it just says weed cannabis flower. I Cannabis super attorney, you just
1: a green cake, run. perhaps.
0: <laughs> it's big gold and black belt. You just like, Yeah, come take it if you can. So, I guess, um, something I want to dive into that when I go around, I talk to some of the shops about what they think about this ban is obviously the first question they have is, They're like, Well, what can I sell? What, what, how does this yeah. work for me?
1: It's, you know, what drives me crazy about it is it creates grays, gray areas, and that is not good for business. If it's not clear what you can and cannot do, that's when people, even with the best intentions, can get in trouble. And it's not fair for the government to do that to businesses. It's not fair for the government to do that for consumers. So sort of the big picture way to think about it is think about what jurisdiction you're in. How does your local DA feel? How do your local police feel? Because something could be, if you fought about it in court, perfectly legal. But if your local law enforcement thinks it's not, they can still harass you or arrest you. And that can cost you a bunch of money. So it's a matter of not the black and white of what's legal, not legal, but that gray area risk assessment. Um, which I people, I always encourage people to go reach out to their chief of police if they're in the city or their county sheriff if they're in an unincorporated area um, to educate them first, talk to them so they know who you are, know you're legit and you're trying to do this right. Uh, and that will help insulate you from any trouble down the road.
0: Something I, I wonder if it's advisable that um, shops would go and take, I guess, print out the the case number. And have a note written that says under case number such and such, the Supreme Court of Texas has ruled that the manufacturer and distrib- the manufacturer and production has the ban has been upheld, but it's, retail and distribution.
1: It's decision doesn't. Unfortunately, the decision doesn't say that so clearly. You have to really dig down in the procedural history of the case to see that they dropped the distribution retail sales. And part of the confusion that happens up there is somebody sees a headline, "Smokable hemp ban upheld. Well, it's not a total ban. It never was. It, they never said you can't smoke hemp, individual. Um, and even when DISHES right. put out their initial their rules in 2020, and this really blew my mind, they had in the preamble of the rules in the discussion section, they flat out saying you could sell flour as long as it's labeled tea, as though people are making hemp tea. Um, yeah, they you know, that, that was example disingenuous. And again, it creates this gray area. Good luck getting a frontline police officer to dig into the nitty gritty of the Texas register. You know, most lawyers don't do that. Um, so by not having clear rules, it's not fair to businesses. It's not fair to consumers and it needs to be cleaned up. I definitely, um, I worked for a smoke shop, um, that,
2: I'm going to go ahead and say it. I won't call them out by name, but they were opportunists. They didn't yeah. care about the law. They didn't care about cannabis. They just wanted the money for it. So I really would like to see the shop owners, the business owners get involved all the way to the Capitol. So, I mean, cause who's going to know it better than you. You're the one running the shops and 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 bringing the product in. It seems like they would, uh, we would see more people um, business owners coming and helping us push yeah. and define this legislation. And boy, I just, seems like a lot of them just aren't interested, unfortunately. You're, you're
1: so right. And it really does okay. matter when legislators hear from constituents and business owners in their district. And, you know, I absolutely encourage any shop owner to figure out who their state rep is, uh, figure out who their state senator is. Call their district office. Don't be surprised if you're not going to get a meeting with the rep or senator, him or herself, but invite staffers to come see the shop and show them. That was one technique we did when we were passing the hemp bill is I took Senator Perry's staff to see what a hemp shop looked like because they'd never seen it before. And it, it you know, it, it did, once you've seen it and visualize it and someone's talked you through what it is and the products and how it's made, it demystifies it. And it helped turn those staffers into really good advocates for the bill and for the industry.
2: I think a lot of times it legitimizes it too, right? Absolutely. Like, oh wow, they're organized and
1: there's not a speck of dust and it's beautiful. And yeah. And the owner seems like a nice lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice ladies help. <laughs> <'Cause it's not laughs> the image the haters have in their head.
0: Well, part of I know in the past, I think it was like when the Delta Eight thing was happening. The reason I mentioned having something posted if you're kind of concerned is that it gives an opportunity to say, hey, um, maybe you don't know. And if you don't know, here's a way for you to become educated. Like you said, you Mm -hmm. may have to dig a little bit, but here's where you can start and start knowing more. And if you want to ask us, we'll be willing. And, yeah, obviously shops have to train their employees on how to handle this in the first place. It should happen regardless if you're putting this sign up or not on how to show these individuals when they come in, like, this is what happened. This is the current rules, what was upheld, what was struck down that way. There's not this, Oh, well, we had no idea. We went off of what we were just told year, a year or so ago, you're in the wrong.
1: Yeah. Yep. It's uh, education, education, education. And from talking to some of the shop owners I've interacted with, they often have local law enforcement who are customers. So if you see a cop come in the shop shopping, get to know them. It's good to build that relationship with those frontline cops too.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, As I I point out in previous shows, like if you're a police officer and you're watching this and you do know what the law is, we would appreciate it if you told your fellow officers uh, about the laws, especially if you're going out and buying these products. And I tell people as well, if you're not a cop and you do know a cop that is purchasing these products, let them know and ask them to inform their, their fellow co-workers about what the law is in Texas.
2: Right. And I mean, and that some, some products can pop, you can pop hot. So make sure your employer is good with, you know, one thing or another. I mean, it's, it's yeah, like the, exactly. fans, the gray area is just so strong here. I mean, I, I get people messaging me on the collective website that are like, you know, it's legal in Texas, right? No, it's not even, you know, remotely close to decriminalized in Texas. It like, is also
1: that, that question, is it legal, Is there, or that statement, is a really dangerous phrase. Because even if the law were clear in different tiers, particularly with cannabis, it's not legal in all circumstances. Right. Um, you know, in legal states, if you have a job that requires you to not use cannabis, like you said, you can test hot and employers are perfectly free to fire you over that. Um, and the, I, you know, I have this PowerPoint I've given on sort of cannabis law 101, and I have a slide where I color code federal agencies, even though non-hemp cannabis, mar- you know, marijuana is a schedule one drug still. Different federal agencies have different attitudes about it. You can patent cannabis plants. You can patent anything to do with cannabis, but it's very difficult to trademark things about cannabis, even though it's the patent and trademark office. And that has to do with some statutory differences between the statutes underlying our trademark system versus our patent system. Every agency has its own hangups or not. And so it's not at all accurate to say it's legal or not. It depends on the circumstance and it, de- it depends on what jurisdiction, state, city, county you're in. And it also depends on what area you're talking about, an agency issue or a criminal issue.
2: Why oh, yeah. do you think they're so tough on, on cannabis? I mean, there's no
1: other industry that I can think of that they you know—I they come so hard for. Part of my background as a lawyer, I've done a lot of reproductive rights work. And I find amazing parallels between the regulations around cannabis and what's happened with abortion in this country since Roe v. Wade. It became the politically, uh, the way I used to say about abortion is every legislative session, some senator wants an abortion pelt to hang on the wall. It was cool to pass anti-marijuana stuff. So it wasn't just scheduling it schedule 1 after the Nixon administration did the Schaefer commission study and ignored the results and kept it schedule 1. It was like, oh, if somebody's got a gun, then they can, it's a crime if they also have marijuana. So you find marijuana uh, prohibitions all over the federal code and the same with state law. We then need to go into our we need to go into our next sponsor
0: break here in the We need to go into our next sponsor break. Hate to cut you off. We need to go into our sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective Podcast. So I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This is episode 46. We are speaking with Susan Hayes, who's a super cannabis attorney. We've been talking about the Smokable Hemp ban. We will be right back after these messages.
3: Drive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas. A full service cannabis solution that is doctor owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas, from traditional CBD products to emerging hemp derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their Own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information.
0: Welcome
2: back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams and Austin Hariri.
0: Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. Man, it has been, like I said earlier in the show, it's been a hot week. It's frying my brain, people. Frying my brain. This is episode 46. We're talking about the smokable hemp ban with attorney Susan Hayes. She's a candidate for ad commissioner here in the state of Texas. Man, how's that been going?
1: It's been going really well. Hey, it's fun running around the state and talking to people and getting to wear jeans and boots while I do it. Um, I sometimes feel for my friend Rochelle Garceau, who's running for attorney general because she always has to be gussied up <laughs> and look like a lawyer. Uh, and also finding, it, you know, particularly as I talk to more agricultural groups and particularly conservative groups that it turns out nobody likes Sid Miller uh, yet to find anyone or any organization that, really enjoys his performance as ag commissioner. So that will make it a lot easier to beat him in November.
0: How's the, tra- so you talk about you loving the travel. I don't, I personally, I don't know how I can handle, I did enough of that in the military driving yeah. from state to state. How is that? How do you, is, how do you deal with those? Types I of
1: don't dogs? mind a La Quinta. Um, and, <laughs> and sometimes we do take our dog with us because she can stay at the La Quintas. Um, you just, it's, a, you just have to plan well. And make sure you build in some downtime. I had an opportunity to join Beth O'Rourke on his Drive for Texas tour in Pecos, Midland, and Snyder. And it was a very, very well-scheduled tour in that we had a, a couple hours during the day where we could stop, make phone calls, or have a decent meal for lunch as we were going from town to town and meeting with folks and listening to what they had to say. And I, and I do find it fascinating to sit in a room with a bunch of people and listen to what they've got to say, what's on their minds and what's really concerning them out there in Texas. You know, rural health care is a piece of this office, and that is a huge issue in rural Texas. The hospitals have been closing left and right. It's difficult to access specialists or physicians. And it's also difficult to get insurance. Um, insurance companies can redline rural counties out of getting anything. Um, One crazy thing we had when we shifted our base from Austin to Alpine is our insurance company told my husband he was going to have to go to Fort Stockton to get his prescriptions filled, which is a hundred and fifty mile round trip, because the little city pharmacy in Alpine wasn't quote in network. And I had never sure. heard of pharmacies being in or out of network
3: before.
0: But I'm not, that's I'm what happened. I'm familiar with it. I'm kind of familiar yeah. with it because I'm on Tricare. As a military yeah. retiree, and it's a lot of mm-hmm. oh that pharmacy is that pharmacy is that doctor, it's it, it, they they've turned into something. It, it's really a H&M it's nuts. Wonder, it, it, you terror. know, and it
1: hurts small town businesses because they're not going to be in those networks, um, and that means the profits from healthcare leave rural Texas and don't stay in the counties.
0: Well, they can't um, collectively bargain the same way these bigger companies do. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. Nope. Yeah. And I understand this. I, I I wonder what the rural communities are seeing now because uh, I've discussed with you. I grew up out in Harper, Texas. Yeah. For those who which can, I drive through know. regularly going between uh, Austin out and out on, two, going two ninety out to, towards Junction, to hit the interstate, and the nearest nearest hospitals are Kerrville and Fredericksburg.
1: Um, yeah.
0: And even then, we used to joke about how bad Sid Peterson Memorial Hospital was. Because the initials were S-P-M-H. So we said it was some people make it home. Right. (laughs) And I don't imagine it's gotten much better.
1: No, rural hospital. I mean, when I was, I sound like such an old lady. When I was growing up in rural Texas, but I lived in Brown County and our county hospital, our hospital was a true county hospital. It was owned by the community. And in the late seventies, there was a movement toward privatizing those county hospitals. And when that happened, the impetus to make it a good hospital and get doctors that were from the community to go get an education come back and stay in practice really left and you, you see it in the care and see it in the, the scope of services that are available in the smaller hospitals. Um, and the state of Texas has done a terrible job for the last 30 years. Looking at that issue, planning, mapping out, you know, where are level one trauma care hospitals? Is there one close to the place where people get hurt a lot, i.e., farms, or if you're in the Big Bend, people falling off rocks in the parks? And we're a long way for that kind of care for emergencies, um, including getting there, transportation, and EMS systems are another layer of what's difficult in rural Texas.
0: I think when we were talking before, when we tried to record before, we were talking about people being an enchanted rock in hundred and ten degree yeah. heat. And it's like that's we just got Darwinism. you're <laughs> you're as far from possible likely can be in Texas from any sort of hospital. They can't bring a helicopter in there easily either.
1: Yeah. So yeah, or try Santa Elena Canyon floating through it. Um <laughs> on the Rio Grande River through Big Ben National Park.
0: And um I think I think a testament to a town that's near me about this with the healthcare issue is um San Marcos. I think I've seen that hospital get bought out three times since yeah. 2016. So it, it's changed hands, obviously, because there's financial decisions being made where like, we, we, we've we obviously got enough business coming in, but is
1: it making enough money to keep it afloat? Well, and that's a fast growing suburban county. You know, you'd think it'd be thriving. And that tells me that's a series of management decisions that have not gone well. If they're struggling,
0: it's in the th- the funny thing is, is I don't want to make understand uh, that way everybody understands because San Marcos was the fastest growing city in the U.S. I believe mm-hmm. in like 2015 or 2016, like right as I moved in. And the reason why isn't because just a lot of people were moving in. The city finally made a decision to say we will count the students at the university as residents within the town. So you mm-hmm. had this there's 40,000 something students going to Texas State at any given time the freshman class grows every year. So you went from having probably 25, 30,000 to all of a sudden 20 something thousand that were willing to mark their name down as I'm a resident of San Marcos. Mm -hmm. So your population doubled like overnight. And it was just this exponential growth of who qualifies for what around there. And I don't think any city is ready for a 50%, almost 50% growth factor that quick.
1: Yeah. No fast growing areas struggle to keep up services whether it's healthcare or transportation?
0: Oh, where I live is
2: it's exploding. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's crazy. And uh, it's like, I guess, like the number one hotbed for fires, like even beyond California. And um, it's, we really have to think about um, a road that we have out here has like a, a nature preserve and so there's not a lot of expanding that be, can be done mm-hmm. but it's come to a point of um like if there's a fire and we all need to get out we don't really have the infrastructure um that the roads to get everybody safely yeah, out
1: escape routes yeah and That's scary it's certainly another issue with our infrastructure in the state
0: <laughs> yeah so where can people find out more information about your campaign, Susan?
1: Yeah, you can go to the website, which is hazeforag.com. That's H-A-Y-S, the number four, A-G, dot com. And you will find on there, there's a whole page about where I think Texas needs to go with cannabis policy. And what's wrong with our current very broken hodgepodge cannabis policy with the hemp program and teacup and criminalization. So and I'll there, be posting on there probably in the next week a rural healthcare care uh, policy position as well.
0: Is there any last final words you want to you want to put out anything that was on your mind you and get a chance to say?
1: People just man get involved. And whether that's legislatively, whether that's making sure all your friends are registered to vote and then go vote. It's really easy to get just enchanted with politics and government and take yourself out of the discussion. But when you do, I guarantee you, the bad guys will win. And putting pressure on politicians through the legislative process and through the ballot box is to wa- the way to make change in this state and this country.
0: Well, I appreciate you joining us today, Susan, you getting this this time in with us. I We understand you're very busy, like you said, going all over the state back and forth. So we appreciate you joined us, gave us your time today, gave us some perspective about the Smokable Hemp ban, your candidacy for mm-hmm. Agriculture Commissioner here in the state of Texas. So we're going to let you go because we understand you've got some events you've got to attend this afternoon, and we want you to be able to get out there and get your word out. So Thanks. we wish you the best on your campaign, on the trail. Best to you and your team. Thank again, you much.
1: we off to Fort Davis
0: tonight. Awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> that will be it for this episode of Lone Star Collective Podcast. This is episode 46. We were discussing the smokeable hemp band with super cannabis attorney, Susan Hayes. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I was joined this week by co-host Lauren Simpson. We hope everybody has a great time. Stay hydrated to beat the heat and be safe, Texas. Enjoy your week.